Welcome, everyone, to the Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. The Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek pulls off our masks for episode 108, A God Walks Into a Bar. Pete, here we are, the penultimate episode now having aired, now being podcasted. That means only one episode left. Uh, I know that we have some plans once, uh, you know, of course, we're going to do a season wrap. Pete, we still don't even know, will it be a series wrap? Will Lindelof dare to do the impossible and just quit while he's ahead? I don't know, but I know what we are going to do after the season is over. Yes, we will uh, be picking a winner of our rating slash review raffle uh, this time next week, Matt, at the end of the podcast, Wednesday, Wednesday December 18th. So certainly a little uh, little goodie bag there, particularly for those who have left reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. And uh, just a reminder, you leave a review, be sure to get in touch with us with your, uh, you know, however your, your name appears on Apple Podcasts so we can match up winner and prize. And now it's time to look under the hood of this episode. A yellow Watchman neon sign buzzes and crackles, zapping to blue, before a suited stranger comes into view and bends down to pick up and don a Dr. Manhattan mask left behind in the wake of VVN Day festivities. A mural of Dr. Manhattan has been <clears throat> modified with a completely unrealistic phallus. Now, Pete, this is the moment all the way back from the, you know, from the first trailer where it surely can't be Dr. Manhattan or I didn't know Dr. Manhattan was in it. And then now we've been leading up to it and all but clear in the way this episode is unfolding that it is, particularly in light, blue light of last episode. But it was just interesting to have this moment of, surprise from the trailer to oh well, what if it isn't and here sure enough it is uh we get the title card a god walks into a bar that's a bar as the last name um the person who we can rightfully call dr manhattan he's headed into eddie's bar in particular mr eddie's bar the obvious graphic novel reference, the woman that uh, Edward Blake had an affair with refers to him as Mr. Eddie. And in there, Pete, Dr. Manhattan sees the drunk and the blue, literally other people painted blue. Uh, Saigon police officer Angela is there too. Uh, Manhattan approaches with two beers. Uh, he asks her to have dinner with her tomorrow night. She says no. And he guesses why she's there, guesses specifically to commemorate the anniversary of her parents' death. That at least gets him a seat at the table. The cinematography here with everything we know yet are anticipating is tremendous. The shots from behind of him in the suit of his uh, bald blue head with the mask on it of his hands motioning as he speaks through the beer glass of his blurry face. It's all done so well. Angela asks about who at the precinct sent him over. 
but he hasn't spoken to anyone there. She told him about her parents, or she will in about 20 minutes. He knows because he's Dr. Manhattan, obviously. She's not dubious. She's just wondering why the actual Dr. Manhattan is wearing a Dr. Manhattan mask, but he doesn't want to get recognized. Uh, she wonders, indeed, if it's a Zeus thing, you know, Zeus who comes down from Olympus to get laid, um, maybe much as how he's come down from Mars. Pete, he clarifies that he's actually been on Europa, the moon of Jupiter, not Mars. For once, Matt is right about these things. Uh, he says that he's been there to create life all while talking to her. So, Pete, we were just barely settling into this episode, and we have... The timey-wiminess, we have some concrete clarification as to, uh, you know, the show's locations. And you had mentioned these shots here where we don't see his face. I just want to point out what a, what a great tool that is because, you know, it would take great lengths to make uh, Yahya Abdul-Mahin look like something straight out of the comic book. Um which is to say the Dave Gibbons version. It would take jumping through hoops probably unnecessarily to have him look like Billy Crudup from the movie. And those are both, in my mind, valid interpretations. Instead here, the show lets you have your ideal Dr. Manhattan, whether you're a movie loyalist or a graphic novel loyalist or whatever it is, you get that Dr. Manhattan, which looks different than the cow face. How do I know that? Because in my mind, that's the way it is. And the show intentionally gives unevidence in order to keep things separate, if that makes sense. Even down to the explanation of his voice voicing the character, which behind the mask sounds different than when he inhabits the body and everything. It's all thoughtful. It's all thought through and really, really well done. Just a bit back on Mars, checking here that that is him but it's a recording of him. He's carrying out a series of predetermined patterns like a computer program. Interesting that that gets clarified for us. Technically, he is on Europa right now. Uh, again, the way that he experiences time and for Angela checked as particularly infuriating. But he's simultaneously in the bar having a conversation and on Europa creating life and there's a great shot there through the mask from a high angle of his teeth so how does one create life matt well he he waves his hand with that haze turns to water green spreads an ocean is born creating an amniotic lake uh he walks on water but does he take off on sundays no all of this which i think you know you're watching all this lush vfx and 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 showing all this you assume you know great amounts of time are going by he says no no it's only 90 seconds back we go to angela at the uh at the table at the bar here which of course is our is our keystone for all the timey-wiminess she's unimpressed pete man creating life in under two minutes so about adam and eve they're fictional characters but on europa dr manhattan did it for real Stretching his blue arms out, he explains he knitted their bodies from microbes in the water. The two infants, which we've seen before, uh, by virtue of accelerated biomechanical maturation, 
become a man and a woman than they're walking naked on the grass along with their creator in his likeness. Uh, he gave them higher brain function, uh, instantaneous speech and self-awareness, and he even gave them a place in which to live, a manor house that zaps from England. So why zap one all the way across the galaxy when you can make one yourself? Well, he says it's a place he feels a connection to because he's still a child right now, which is, of course, the perfect jumping off point to flashback to the old manor. Uh, all of this as Angela hammers home the fluid nature of Manhattan's time. Uh, and we uh, get filled in on the Osterman family uh, running from Nazi Germany in 1936, going to the UK to a safe place uh, before they go to the New World. Uh, this is where, again, we get to see young John. Uh, now he's wandering the halls, wondering, mostly figuratively, Pete, if he's invisible. Yeah, passes the kitchen, grabs an apple, hits us over the head. Uh, this sealed atmosphere unto itself, he's speaking simultaneously about his creation as well as the bedroom. He didn't realize at the time, but this would inspire him to create a jar of his own uh, on Europa. There's a woman laughing. Suddenly, John takes refuge in the closet there, kind of more of a cabinet. And in 1936, we're told that parents do not talk to their children about sex, or at least Hans Osterman didn't once his old lady absconded with an SS officer and left their family. Uh, and with young John hiding there, Pete, he gets uh, the beginnings of an education. Um, ultimately, though, that apple that he stole, it gets uh, dropped. I, Pete, I should mention before the dropping of the apple, he sees what my notes refer to as OG Phillips and Crookshanks. Yes. Um, uh, but they then find him and he runs, uh, runs out. If it, was not clear already. It then becomes clear that they are the Lord and Lady of the Manor, or at least this earthbound one. Uh, they pretend to meet John for the first time as Papa introduces John to them. Um, and the Lord and Lady say that they want to talk to him privately. Uh, Lord Phillips explains that what John saw was uh, um, a good and beautiful thing. Uh, they were creating a life as their first child was taken by God. Lady Crookshanks uh, gives him a gift, a holy Bible filled, A, with beautiful stories that Papa doesn't believe in, and B, Pete, I'll just go ahead and assume it's got a whole second half that maybe, let's say, is not part of the traditional Osterman upbringing. So kind of just full on, like, I don't know, 1930s, you know, British-y, Christian-y, hey, this is how we do it. Shouldn't you do it that way, too? I'll add a third. Those illustrations look an awful lot like uh, Dave Gibbons did them uh, in the Bible there. But more so than the procreative uh, issue that they discuss, what young John sees and Dr. Manhattan notes is that what they are doing when he sees them is filled with joy and it's the first time he knows love, which is the undisputed through line of this episode. Uh, Lady Crookshanks, uh, and I suppose by implication, Lord Phillips, give John an implicit, uh, or maybe 
more than implicit, uh, calling, won't he create something beautiful one day? Cut back to Europa, where he has made Adam and Eve in the image of the Lord and the Lady. Back to Angela. Uh, she's vaguely impressed. And uh, Manhattan laughs. Six months from now, he's told that he has a lack of an imagination. Uh, it's by a friend or at least a colleague. Regardless, Manhattan says that he loves her even before they met. Since there is no before, there was no moment of feeling that, you know, th those pangs of love. For Angela, she can't have that moment and indeed is having the opposite of love. Yes. Uh, one other thing I wanted to note from the Phillips Crookshank proto inspiration deal they had had a child, their child died. It was God's will trying to have another. So clearly, the seeds of that in those characters as they impressed upon young John Osterman. But it's at this point with the discussion of the ever important moment, which we return so eloquently late in the episode two, Dr. Manhattan takes his mask off and he might even be pretty good looking if he didn't cover himself in blue makeup. Uh, the blueness is obvious. She notes that there's a lack of glowing and uh, again says that she won't have dinner with him. Why is this? Because she hates Dr. Manhattan. And Pete, for all of the uh, time-fluid uh, presentation uh, that we will get for most of this episode, what she's about to give us is a really interesting, nuanced, and thankfully direct explanation here. She hates Dr. Manhattan because he torched a village in Vietnam. A boy saw his village burn. He grew up to be part of the bombing that killed her parents. Uh, so it's this kind of direct and easy to understand connection there. Uh, Manhattan says he's just been told about her parents' death and he regrets his decisions. So will they have dinner? Still no. And this is taking place 22 years after her parents' death in 1987. So it is 2009 when this discussion in the bar is occurring. Um, and he knows this because, uh, she told him before he sat down. Um, but he went to Vietnam as he explains, and, and we've ne never gotten this aspect from Dr. Manhattan. It was fascinating. He says he was trying to be what people wanted him to be soldier, superhero, savior, he tries to do the right thing and apologizes to Angela, if it's any consolation, he regrets it. As for this topic of dinner, uh, tonight he's blending in with all the blues, hence they can have this conversation, but tomorrow he'd stick out. So how could it be done? Um, they sure could teleport once, but they would eventually need to go out. Uh, she's come up with a solution, it seems. Two weeks go by, and she's going through the bodies of the dead in what we can only assume is the police morgue or the hospital morgue via her police connections. Person after person is shown, no next of kin for, for any of them. Uh, he can take the form of one of them and just assume their life from there. Pete, this is your classic example of at this point, we the audience are ahead of our characters. Uh, Angela, you know, first one she is denied, second one she is denied, third one she is denied, the fourth body. It is that of Calvin Jelani. 
He just dropped dead, probably of a heart attack. Manhattan says that he likes the name Calvin, and just like that, he looks like him. It's a perfect copy, aside from the black hydrogen logo on his forehead. Uh, He had forgotten about the logo and will forget more, but more on that in another time. Yeah, and just the symbolism that goes on here, the, the three early options, lower drawers, Calvin Jelani, top shelf, baby. Okay, uh, just dying of a heart attack. Definitely going to dig into that a little later. Even the name Matt Calvin has high importance. And then the different sounding voice still Yahya Abdul-Mahin. But uh, since the vocal cords loosened in the transformation, we uh, willfully suspend our disbelief. Uh, once the symbol is taken away here, um, the explanation that he doesn't see the future, that he experiences it. And that's very important moving forward, even backward in the story. So how long are they together? Ten years. Manageable. She says she'll still be young. She can fall in love again. How does it end? Tragically. Still not convinced. He tells her her favorite song, Tunnel of Love by Doris Day, begins to play on the jukebox at that very moment. However, she says she's never heard that song before. She finds it amusing, but six months from now, it's the reason she is telling him to leave. Yes, and uh, we jump ahead six months to them, Pete, making love. Uh, she stops the act as uh, he tells her that they will fight even if she doesn't want to. To her, all of this makes no sense. Uh, she has previously liked the sense of safety and stability of him knowing about the future. But what does he know about fear? And Pete, this bit of revelation here is so fascinating. And it's despite the great, great, great strengths of this series, it's rare that it's had us reassess the graphic novel, truly reassess it, but we're about to get it here. Uh, On the topic of fear, um, he talks about being in the intrinsic field generator 50 years ago and right now, because of course he's concurrently experiencing it to the pleasures of the flesh. Um, He has nothing to fear, yet she's taking all the risks. And just this idea that he's perpetually caught in this moment of terror uh, while perpetually free from it. Um, But, her conclusion in this bedroom scene uh she says it leave and with that he stands and teleports away pete where does the nude dr manhattan teleport to to the snow outside what we come to realize is karnak in antarctica uh rather messy uh adrian veidt is there in 2009 he is noting Via his wall OTVs, there's been a nuclear reactor meltdown by those idiots. He's given them solar, wind, wireless power transmission, but they keep making their bombs. And uh, Dr. Calhattan explains here, it's paradoxical, but it makes them feel safe. The smartest man in the world knows who this stranger he's never met is because of deduction and because only Dr. Manhattan would have the um, 
snowballs to show up in nothing but his birthday suit. It's cold in the Antarctic, Pete, though apparently not for Dr. Manhattan. Later, we got, our, our transition point here, Pete, is the new Dr. Manhattan to later John is in a suit. Uh, and we get recapped that it's 24 years later, 24 after uh, Vite tried to destroy him, Dr. Manhattan. 24 uh, years, 41 days, 13 hours. Not like we're going to be exact or anything. That same amount of time after 3 million people were killed. Uh, it was a moral gamble. And uh, Vite says that while sending some squid through the squid transporter. He's trying to save the world one cephalopod at a time. Uh, Vite also wonders if Manhattan's new look is appropriation. Um, after all, why venture down here, a blue man, as a human? Wait, is it for a woman? Of course it is. And we've seen this pattern with Dr. Manhattan. It's very interesting in light of this story here. Interesting here is that Vite in addition to knowing it's Dr. Manhattan before he's told also knows that Dr. Manhattan is on Europa and it's not some kind of strange deduction. Uh, here he says that a little elephant told him. So clearly some reference to, uh, lady true and not the elephant supplying, uh, memories to, uh, or the transfusion to Angela in the previous episode. The figurative elephant, not the literal elephant. But Pete, back to the topic of Amore. Manhattan is doing this for a woman named Angela. Veidt is surprised to hear that uh, Manhattan is so upfront with uh, who he was. But Veidt rationalizes that the god wants to be a mortal. Um, this is when he's told that uh, he has no imagination and Manhattan chuckles here and back six months ago. We already have had a few instances in this episode of that, you know, kind of time echo type thing that I think that we, you know, we definitively saw in the graphic novel only a couple of times, excluding the Dr. Manhattan chapter. And the fact that we're doing it here, it's like, oh, wow, it really, really works well with the narrative. We also were setting up the fact that it's going to be this recursive loop towards the end of the episode as to where all this actually started. Veidt wants to know if he has a brain. He's replicated physiognomy, but what about the physiology? Theoretically, a device could be inserted in his prefrontal cortex to short-circuit his memory. Without awareness of abilities, he wouldn't know to use them except as a reflex in life-threatening situations. Got that? How long will it take to make such a device, Matt? Well, it turns out that Vite made it 30 years ago, and this may be the most uh, mildly daring section of, I don't want to say rewriting the graphic novel, but you're always on thin ice a little bit when you say, hey, that thing that you saw, there was actually other secret things that you didn't see. But here we get that. The intrinsic field trap that we saw at the climax of the graphic novel, that was plan B to blow up. Oh, they're sticking with the... B and the A here. Here's here's plan A uh, inside this lead box. Does he know what 
in, is in the mystery box the patented jj abrams i worked for jj once mystery box no it's been irradiated with tachyon particles this is plan a a for amnesia so just to review pete plan b blow him up plan a amnesia and if he has angela put it in his head it'll take effect immediately he'll forget who he is what he can do and everything that ever happened to him so if you have any unfinished business within the story of course you had better take care of it oh wait that reminds dr manhattan that angela has a grandfather he and he have matters to discuss so uh before handing over plan a Vite talks about his own plans for a great future and how they've ultimately been ignored he had saved the world but he has no place in it now was it all worth it in the end? Of course, as we heard at the end of the graphic novel, nothing ever ends. But how does it end? Will we have Vite uh, see his utopia? Manhattan says yes, but he won't see it here on Earth. Manhattan has created a kindler, gentler life uh, off the Earth. The Adam and Eve there want to give total love and devotion. Thus, Manhattan must leave them. Uh, they're still there waiting for someone to worship to Vite, this sounds like a paradise. Yes, and asked if he'd like to go there. A tearful yes. The god wishes the smartest man in the world godspeed and teleports him to Europa. Uh, there's a great transitory shot, one we've seen before, from the beaches to the lush greenery which had been used in the initial episode after the raid on the farm and uh you know went from the stars to that and now we realize it was actually in the stars and it was on europa just again the the visual language of the show top notch uh as he teleports away Dr. Manhattan catches the device, never really given a name, but uh, called a ring. And it's time to pop the question. Yes, from uh, Karnak and Plan A to now Angela having Plan A at a different point in time. Uh, she's told all she needs to do is push it in. He doesn't know if it will work. He looks vaguely delighted, Dr. Manhattan does. He won't reset. He'll just forget. So again, we're kind of clear on the mechanics here via exposition. Perhaps he'll be in some kind of accident. Uh, Angela noting she could be a cop anywhere, maybe Tulsa. Um, back to the night that they met, him talking about, uh, about how he creates life. Uh, a chicken egg. Dinner is still a hard no. Uh, in the future, though, they will have children. They won't have powers. Uh, he does talk about transferring his power. He could do it theoretically, but she doesn't want kids. So just to review, Pete, kids, powers, transferring powers, she doesn't want kids. So it's kind of like powers in a, you know, re repeated uh, mentions of the kids here. Um, he says that the children actually will be adopted in Tulsa. That's where her family is. She'll be there at the start of his darkness and at the end of it, a tunnel of love. Yes, and there is discussion of the mechanics 
of the powers. He would never pass on his powers to somebody without their consent. Uh, that's a thing he can do. It is now. And you mentioned, whereas the, the device and retconning that there was another plan was controversial, giving him a new set of powers we've never seen before, duly controversial. He could, uh, he supposes he could transfer his atomic components into some sort of organic material here, the egg. If someone were to consume it, they would inherit the powers. Could he put it in an egg uh, and she could inherit it? Well, again, not wanting the kids cracking the egg, putting it in the beer, he consumes the beer, keeps his powers. So keep an eye on that one. Back ultimately, though, to the night that the ring is put in. Uh, she's wondering if she'll just leave it in there. Uh, she's ready to give it to him. He gets down on one knee. They say they love each other. And uh, indeed, she puts the ring in. Hard cut to the ring coming out. As we saw at the end of last episode, the blue glow falling on her face. Then we're getting new stuff now. He stands. We see her from his point of view. Then all of a sudden, he's floating. Uh, we see Cal Hatton, blue and glowing, yet retaining Cal's features. And she notes the same and says adamantly that the kids cannot see him like this. He can't change back. However, he needs to move forward. His glow is gone, and he notes that there's a damaged clock. Uh, and we get taken back to the night of the attack, Pete, but with some new information. Yes, the white knight is replayed, but answering the questions we had before. It was Christmas. There was a man with a mask. He broke in. Angela pushed him down. Um, she had been hit. There were two men. And what we saw last, the man standing over her, which we thought, all right, was it Judd? Well, it's definitely not Judd because uh, Cal, uh, in that reflexive uh, state, suddenly aware of his powers, zapped him away. So we flash back to Vite, just so it's all clear, life-threatening situation. Thank you, Adrian. All clear now. She also knows he is simultaneously speaking to Adrian Vite. He's not sure when he is. We have all this interrupted by him zapping away. All of a sudden, the children are calling out, look, look, there's a blue man on the pool. Uh, Cal Hatton zaps the three kids away. He says that he sent them somewhere safe. Um, Not before they note, and it is acknowledged, it is Cal. This is true. Uh, she says that she needs to see him uh, on the pool. It's important for later. Uh, the kids have been sent to her grandfather at the Dreamland Theater. Questions still abound. Uh, but we see that John has gone to New York City to a, ma a mansion owned by Nelson Gardner. Will Reeves opens the door. Oh, man, Pete, this was indirectly inf uh, informed by the uh, the PDpedia stuff and the fact that Gardner left his fortune, his mansion, etc. to Will Reeves. So I guess that all got put together there. Uh, and Will Reeves does not know the name John Osterman. Uh, he closes the door on... Uh, john's face but uh door closed anyway john goes right through he pulls up a chair and says that he and will are going to talk 
Uh, John notes that he's made some changes in his life and wants to make more changes. Yes, and they've become entangled. His future ability, uh, Dr. Manhattan's, to influence events is limited. So in order to ensure an optimal outcome, he would like to form an alliance with the former Hooded Justice. And Will wants to know if he wants him to put on the mask. But this is about Angela, his granddaughter, who Will doesn't know that he has. But Will had a son. His son had a daughter, his granddaughter. Uh, and they met and they met in Vietnam. They're moving to Tulsa, where she will be a police officer. And uh, John explains that he gets the sense she wants to do it because she knows it's where she comes from. But Angela uh, wants help, and um, Will did not know that she existed and vice versa. Then, Pete, we get into... A moment that left me truly gasping out loud while watching the episode via this, you know, this this time fluidity here. And obviously, of course, via Dr. Manhattan, Angela in 2019 asks 2009 Will how he knew Judd Crawford was a member of Cyclops and had a clan robe in his home. Will doesn't know Judd, but does now. Pete this a moment where it's clear that Angela has killed Judd Crawford via her grandfather. And she is the starting point for this entire loop here. I'm still not entirely convinced of that. The chicken or the egg paradox, obviously, which came first as Manhattan notes, it appears to be both at the same time. And now he's hungry zaps away uh, he's in the kitchen. He's making waffles. The fridge opens. Watch out for the eggs, which uh, Angela grabs the carton of and smashes them. OK, uh, she notes that they don't have time, that she woke him up because the cavalry is coming for him. Uh, the alliance that her grandfather has with Lady True who she's pretty know, pretty sure knows about uh, Dr. Manhattan too. So he needs to stop effing around. Uh, but Dr. Manhattan, seeing all, except when he's in the tunnel, uh, knows that the 7th Cavalry is already there. They're in a truck parked across the street, on the back of which there is a tachyonic cannon, which they will use to involuntarily teleport him. And then as she looks out the curtain to verify it, destroy him. So they've been there all this time and he is just telling her, but, and I think this is super important because we're told it's important. There were more important matters to discuss. So the tachyonic cannon, less important than other things they've talked about. Okay. They were on the pool, the stuff about Judd, all of this seems to have larger story significance than what happens to him at the end of the episode. It's at this point that she gets her guns despite being told that she can't save him. This is the moment that he fell in love with her. Uh, it's echoed back. She gets it and it's time for her to save his life out on the front lawn. She uh, kills a seventh cavalry member. They start to open fire 
Uh, they're very clearly faring worse than him, and she upgrades to their guns. The music plays with a spiritual flair, and it sounds like a tragedy. Uh, she revs a truck toward them, then is about to be shot, but Dr. Manhattan arrives, splattering them, uh, which is maybe more restraint than in the Snyder telling of, uh, of the original story. Manhattan stops the bullets, and Angela shoots the person, manning the tachyon cannon. So, whew, Pete, looks like it's going to be a happy ending after all. We win, right? You were wrong. No, Angela, I wasn't. What? I'm sorry. And then the tachyonic cannon blasts him. He is pulled back into it. She yells his name. And then the coda here, we're back in the bar. She admits she can't keep calling him Dr. Manhattan. So he gets uh, to the subject of his name. It's John, no H. She's Angela. But he already knows that, of course. So 10 years together won't tell her what the tragedy is going to be. She doesn't want to know. Um, but she says she can't get involved with someone if it's going to end in tragedy. But then he painfully reminds her that by definition, all relationships end in tragedy. He's got a point there. So will they have dinner tomorrow night? F it. Why not? The end. Or is it? Uh, curious, the placement of a secret scene after the credits and then shouting from the mountaintops uh, via social media, watch to stay after the credits, but uh, we have Crookshanks. Will you stay, Master? No. Phillips saying, will you stay, Master? No. Crookshanks asking again. Phillips asking again. Uh, we see Vite on a catapult. Tomatoes smashed into his face with every uh, no. Then later question mark certainly at a different point in time vite is in prison and uh, the game warden arrives with seven count them seven candles on the cake uh pete does vite want to suffer well i mean you look at the symbolism strapped to the um the catapult arms up almost like he's crucified uh later saying that he doesn't want to hear for who's a jolly good fellow or he'll barf all over the game warden's boots here. Uh, it's 2016. We know that because he was transported in 2009, seven years. Um, and Phillips and Crookshanks insisted they make a cake and it be brought to their master uh, regardless of the fact that he is in the doghouse or the cell, however you want to view it. Um, the smashing of the tomatoes in the face here, something that all the Phillipses and Crooks Shankses would desist if he agreed to stay. But back to that idea of suffering. Does he know better? Um the game warden avoids the question and poses one of his own. Would he like uh, Vite, uh, the game warden, to get him another book? He is reading Fog Dancing. Ultimately, it's said that the warden wouldn't understand. It's about loneliness. 
No, no, the warden says. He does understand about loneliness. He, the game warden, was the first one pulled out of the water. He saw the world be made, saw the grass grow, the making of the beasts and the heaven. Why isn't heaven enough? Vite says that this isn't his home. Pete, his eight million is what the subtitles say. Billion I think he is says what it sounded bill- like. I think he says billion, yeah. Um, so you know, usually the subtitles are reliable. It definitely said million. It definitely to my ears and sounds like yours, uh, sounded like billion, but eight million children need him. Uh the warden walks out. Enjoy our effing cake. Uh Vite blows out the candles. And there's a beat here, and then he looks. I don't know how he knows to see it underneath the frosting or fondant or honeycomb or who knows what Phillips and Crookshanks are making these cakes out of exactly. Um, But there is a horseshoe baked inside of it that he laughs as he extracts. He pulls it out. He pulls the bed out from the wall. He begins scraping and laughing as the orchestral music intones Amen at the end of the episode Salvation in the next. Speaking of salvation, Pete, thank you to everyone who's gone to patreon.com slash fantastic geek, making sure that our allotted cell of bandwidth and storage remains the proper size for the output we are creating, particularly Pete. This is the beginning of a week where we're doing a whole bunch of stuff and couldn't be happier again, particularly with the support on Patreon. As we head into our seventh anniversary in 2020, Matt, hashtag it's all connected, uh, could not do this without our legion of Phillipses, Crookshanks's, and you, who go over to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, are able to contribute A minimum of a dollar a month gets you in the door there, a mere quarter a week, and get all sorts of exclusive content and help us do our thing that we bring to you. So thank you, one and all. Let's open up the crank file to dive into some crackpot theories. Pete, we'll circle back to the end with that cake there. I don't know why Phillips and Crookshanks have always or often put a horseshoe into the cake, but I think that the reason perhaps that Vite looked for it on the seventh anniversary is because that wacky pair had been messing up so consistently by putting them in there in the first place. I don't know. I, I think it comes back to the other major theme of this episode. So I'm going to answer that through bringing up some other material. Calvin, the name, which, of course, John Osterman, Dr. Manhattan likes that of Calvin Jelani, the uh, heart attack victim who just happened to have a heart heart attack, you know, like uh, uh, Grandma June just happened to have a heart attack, uh, which I think we can begin to theorize These are events that Dr. Manhattan has influenced in order to make this happen. Calvin and Calvinism, Matt, deals primarily with predestination, the preordained notion that things have to happen 
in a particular way. Well, and that's certainly through and through, uh, you know, the Dr. Manhattan ethos here. Uh, clearly, he's not, you know, gone kablooey, um, in part because it's made clear in the dialogue that uh, they're going to trap him, then kill him. Uh, but the blasé way in which he's prepared to roll on into that ending, let's say somewhat versus, you know, having the blind spot in the graphic novel of not knowing about the attack because attacking on particles, we kind of don't have that as a story out this time. Uh, and the fact that he is kind of allowing this predestination to help him determine his direction. Clearly it's the biggest mystery by the end, how somebody who knows the future would allow that to, to happen at the end. We've had all this foreshadowing with the eggs throughout the series the eggs that Angela cracks into the bowl in the classroom when she's showing the children how to make mooncakes, the eggs that Will is uh, putting his fingers into boiling water to then eat without wincing in pain uh, in the second episode. Um, now, here we are with the egg that is recreated in his hand this idea beyond the thing itself, the symbolism of life and what an egg can ultimately become in terms of a chicken, uh, the paradox, everything there. And then what is very curious in his description of how he became Dr. Manhattan. So we've had several times throughout the series and backed up by the graphic novel, that it was Janie's watch that was left in the intrinsic field generator in 1959, and he went back to retrieve it, thus becoming who he is. Uh, but in this episode, Calvin, John Osterman, says it was his watch. Hmm. I guess my first reaction is, oh, but they must have made a mistake. Uh, but then I think to counter that, you know, these episodes were not recently made, certainly were not recently shot. Um, I'm sure the effects and the scoring and whatnot took longer, but I have a difficult time believing that such a mistake could have been scripted, then shot, then made it through multiple edits, uh, and not caught before, before, you know, exiting to the great wide world. So you certainly could be onto something there, Pete. And I guess that that falls under the umbrella of my kind of uber theory question heading into next week. Can this show really tie up all of these storylines in what we can assume is a normal length episode? I have not heard otherwise. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's, you know, if it's a 75 minute episode. You know, I don't know that that requires any kind of, you know, set your DVRs or anything like that. Um, but, you know, we have obviously the future for Dr. Manhattan here. We have Angela's situation. How are we going to, to conclude uh, Will's story? Uh, Vite has sent out this plea, you know, to, to be helped. What's up with that? Lady True, we haven't visited this entire episode, and I'm getting itchy because we had such good stuff last <laughs> week that, you know, what's the deal with the Millennium Clock and her whole countdown thing? You know, how does any of this, all of this, fit together 
one possible connection piece, one outstanding thing still on the corkboard. Lady True had bought the Clark farm for a particular purpose, and as soon as the deal was done, something landed there. Is the something Adrian Veidt? I mean, you have to look at that as the most likely thing at this point. We're going to do a lightning round of unresolved questions leading into the hopeful season, not series, finale towards the end of this segment. Let's keep it to this episode in particular. The little elephant that told Vite that Dr. Manhattan was on Europa. Gotta be Lady True, right? Absolutely. I mean, Lady True we discussed last week had uh, microfusion engines. So the notion that she's got space stuff out there, we saw a space thing, a satellite going over Europa gotta be the connection there. I mean, it's, it, it's enough to, you know, to, to build that bridge without it being the least bit of a stretch. So the explanation that Dr. Manhattan could choose to imbue someone else with a power or powers but he would have them consent to it, okay? And then the mechanics through which that would work. So that begs the question, Matt, will there be a sister Manhattan? Um, Would Topher, who many people theorize might have been Dr. Manhattan prior to the reveal that it was actually Calvin, could he be the one? Would Lube Man possibly be somebody to receive it or has he received it to this point or could Vite receive all or some of the powers given that he's consumed these cakes what's in a cake matt (laughs) certainly eggs and flour and sugar um and, and sometimes honeycomb and uh horseshoes but that's probably more of a tangent um I would feel that the story had lost a bit of perspective if Vite got all the powers. The blood on Vite's hands should not be forgotten. And I think it's somewhat easy in the graphic novel because he's he is such a cool character. You know, like not, not just distant, although he is a bit distant, but he is such an awesome character. You know, the most Bruce Wayne of Bruce Waynes um, that... You know, and then the shock of the squid and all of that, that. You know, like, let's not forget he killed three million people uh, and used them as mathematical chess. So I would hope that this this Uber story, which is the graphic novel and this season, I would hope that, that uh, you know, the current caretakers of that story, Lindelof and company, don't reward Vite with the powers of a god. As for Topher, I think from a production point of view, I don't know that he's been in it enough to kind of suddenly elevate him i I wouldn't completely exclude it um but i think another mark against topher is can a kid his age consent to powers like that um i'm I'm sure the kid would say yes i just don't know that it's i don't know that's a, a a true statement for such a kid to make uh you may be on something though pete with uh sister manhattan being a possibility what about the business on the pool that Angela needed to see Cal on the pool. It's important for later. Yeah. What struck me in rereading my notes is, oh, I must have, did I mistype that? No, no. I remember her saying that. Did I miss the part B to it? Did I miss, you know, because what, like 
it truly is a, a something there still in the corkboard. It truly is unresolved. How Angela would know that something is needed for the future, I mean, other than suggesting that she will get, therefore always had gotten because of timey-wimey stuff, the document hat and powers. It's like, I guess, but then if this whole season... If this whole season ends up having been an origin story for Dr. Manhattan's powers once bestowed upon, uh, you know, a simple, hardworking public servant uh, who now had to deal with extraordinary powers. Now this entire season surprise was actually about uh, a simple, humble public servant being given extraordinary powers. But it's a different person. I'm not crazy about that as an outcome. I don't know exactly how I want this season to end with what degree of finality uh, if they're using the graphic novel as a template, though, the graphic novel does end pretty definitively. You know, Manhattan gone, the deed done, uh, the hope for peace largely secured. You know, I don't know how you, in this day and age, replicate that for a show that you also kind of sort of, if not from a creative end, from a corporate end, want it to come back because you can sell a lot of HBO subscriptions on the back of it. The waffles. We've seen Cal make waffles before. We've never seen Dr. Manhattan make waffles. That he transitions from the pool to doing that. That that would seem to have purpose of Angela grabbing the carton of eggs and smashing them. Is this meant for somebody to slip on later? Did those eggs have salmonella? What was it? Because we're in this attempt to understand Manhattan's existence, it's difficult to say because now everything must somehow be connected to everything else. I will just take a little mental solace in the fact that just because Manhattan sees everything doesn't mean that he reacts to everything. You know, some of these times, whether it's falling in love or things like that, where he knows it will happen, uh, or I, I think in the graphic novel, when he knows ahead of time that Lori and Dan are a couple. And then when she tells him, he's genuinely surprised because it is both the first time he's hearing it and he's always known it. It's kind of in that gray area that we can't quite fully process. Um, so again, I don't know. I don't know, for example, just again, from a production point of view, do we next week in the previously on have to have a waffles previously on bit so that we're clear so when somebody comes in they slip the, the, the or is that a little bit too far because at the end of the day hbo knows your core audience is watching this with a week's distance not you know one episode to the next i don't know the horseshoe at the end and what vite is doing with it clearly some idea escape mechanism scraping the bottom gonna make a spaceship out of the stones or what have you, who knows. What I'm calling the Crookshanks redemption, however. It's not the rock hammer. It's not the, uh, you know, poster of Raquel Welch that he's hiding behind. But we know the time frame. There's three years difference between our main narrative and this other part, which I read this week, Matt, uh, Tom Misson, the Phillips actor, they filmed all that stuff first. 
and he didn't know about the post credit scene. He had wondered where it would show up and then thought it was cut and then learns this week watching as a fan that it's in there and talked about the different permutations that the scene had taken in filming it. Yeah, clearly there's clearly there's meant to be a gap where we don't see how that little horseshoe is going to get you get you out other than as you suggest Pete in a Shawshank Redemption kind of way where when you have all the time in the world you can take out a couple scoopfuls every day and you know x number of years later it's it's your it's your salvation still though I don't see how that gets you off Europa further still I'm kind of in this and this is not a theory that I'm very wedded to um but this idea let me put it this way Pete the idea that uh what Vite needed was something like the horseshoe well was that inserted all the way back in episode one just so he could have the tool that he needed in episode eight is this Lord of the Rings in the gift-giving scene you get the rope because in the next book you need the untie rope if so okay hand to the writer I guess it is what it is but we we have an episode that's very reflective in its time echoes so it has me wondering there too i don't want to say like oh vite is manhattan or vite gets the manhattan powers because i you know previously was down on that as a theory but it's like he kind of knew all along that that's what he needed maybe i don't know so the biggest thing i think we have to talk about from a theory perspective is that angela abar has been with Dr. Manhattan disguised as her husband, really a dead man from Vietnam, the entire narrative of the show and then the flashbacks and everything with it. So given her story being attacked on the White Knight by the Seventh Cavalry, going through what she went through with Judd Crawford that she's had Dr. Manhattan with her the whole time and only turned to him when he was in danger. I just don't know there. It feels like it might have been a little too much of a holdback instead of, hey, there's this terrible conspiracy. If only I had a way. Wait a minute. I think somebody at home could help me. It is vague echoes uh unintentionally i'm sure but vague echoes of you know captain marvel saying don't use this beeper unless you're really 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 in trouble and then it's like oh no bad guys have come with their through the through the thing to destroy earth in the first avengers movie Nah, i won't use the beeper oh no now there's it now nah, i won't oh no thanos is here the first time no, no no you know and and what's the answer there the answer is because story, because waiting, because climax. I suspect that's the same answer here as well. Maybe with a pinch of, you know, Angela Angela did not want to lose the man she loved uh, unless it was, you know, true, past the red line, dire emergency. And two gunmen come to the house. She's proficient in firearms. She has guns. As it's unfolding, that might not feel like the moment. Certainly, you don't have the time to now remove the uh, the plan A device. You know, again, I think there's wiggle room there, but I think at the end of the day, the answer is because story. 
and I can accept that. Um, and I just so loved this episode, particularly when the epiphany for, uh, Dr. Manhattan of the moment that he fell in love with Angela occurs and, uh, just the, the music done there. So really well done. Are you ready to talk about all the unresolved issues heading into the finale? Pete, I want unresolved mommy issues, unresolved daddy issues. I want unresolved story issues. I want unresolved elephant mother issues. Bring it on. Was Chief Judd Crawford actually in the 7th Cavalry? Uh, unresolved, I think it's the, at this point when we say no, it's because Don Johnson is a cool guy with a great career not because Judd Crawford is a cool guy with a great career. What will happen when and if Lori Blake finds out that Angela Abar is with her former blue boo? I think that Lori has basically emotionally moved on. Yes, Dan Dryberg felt that was not the case. Yes, he built Excalibur. Um, I think that was more slouchy, Dan is sad that he's only a rich, you know, industrialist, philanthropist, billionaire. Meh, you know, he, he Pete, he's back to the old owl ship, not shooting fire the way it used to, if you catch my drift there. Um, I think Lori has moved on emotionally. I think that she she's so world weary. She's so hollowed out by her experiences in life that I think it'll just be like, hey, John, good to see you. Um, she, I, she's been going to these booths, leaving him messages. There's emotion there. I don't know. The, I think it's the emotion of having, you know, the world is hollow and I've touched the sky. Like it's the emotion of I, I've been intimate with a God, not this is the long lost love. Can we do a Hallmark Channel movie where we meet up again and, and have happiness? I think she's a... She's an unhappy character, and I think that's how this season will end it. I'll even do you one better, Pete. You know, I don't know that she lives through the end of next week's episode. Wow. They would that they would kill her off. I I think that that Trump's killing off a legacy character, you know, jumps ahead of, you know, the powers they've bestowed Dr. Manhattan that haven't been spoken about or you know, what Vite planned that he went in another direction with. The thing that landed on the Clark farm. Uh, I think it's, I think it's Vite in some kind of spaceship. I think it's certainly it's a spaceship. I mean, we, as we discussed back in that episode, Clark farm, Clark Kent, Kent farm, spaceship landing there. I and mean, I think it all kind of, it all tracks for a weird retelling. Let's not forget Watchmen, the graphic novel. You know, its foundation is a uh, a retelling of the uh, the Charlton characters that DC had um, had bought, and then DC said, "No, don't do that to Blue Beetle. Make up your own weirdo guys." Um, I feel like that's what it's got to be. I just remain concerned about whether it's a forty five minute episode. Let's hope it's not. Hashtag Game of Thrones loot train. Uh, or 60 or 75 or 90, however long this episode is going to be, I just wonder how can you how how can you do the Vite getting out of prison, 
building a spaceship without the game warden finding him montage. Then he goes into orbit where he links up his stone cottage ship with the satellite, then zooms to Earth. That's a whole lot of story amidst another story where you have to do Dr. Manhattan, 7th Cavalry, Wade, you know, Laurie, uh, etc., etc. I don't know how they're going to do it. Thank goodness they're the ones in charge of figuring it out. You mentioned Wade, so let's talk about Looking Glass. We haven't seen him, Matt, since episode five. We just finished episode eight. Yeah, I think that's probably part of the big reveal. I have I have every expectation that he's back at the abandoned JC Penny wearing the mask. And at the minute where, you know, somebody's gonna say, All right, Agent Blake you know, say sayonara, here's my gun, three, two, one, that's all of a sudden when, you know, the the gunman will be stabbed in the throat by another 7th Cavalry person. No, wait, it's Wade. Um, My expectation is he leaves this episode a hero, alive, dead, probably alive, but that he leaves a hero nonetheless. My personal most important character and mystery, Matt, we talked about episode five. Let's go all the way back to episode three. Where is, who is, Lube Man? I love your theory that it's Red Scare uh, by evidence of him constantly eating and the, the fast metabolism and all that. Um, I know this, Pete. I mean, it's it seems like... And giving well, a dumb name to the character, which would take it to another level. Like, oh, it, it is Lube Man when character is really called a silver streaker. <laughs> um, again, it's low-hanging fruit, but they need to resolve that too. Particularly, that's a scene that just could have been cut. Um, and, and probably really expeditiously. Like, she doesn't see him. She doesn't reference it back at the, uh, at the um, police precinct. And that's it. Uh, so you got to be circling back to it. Certainly, you've got to be circling back to it. Could Adrian Vite be Lube Man? Um, if he was, then there'd have to be a different understanding of the the timeline of it all. Although, I mean, relative to Lube Man and the Clark Farm, I don't know, maybe, but my, my gut just tells me no. What will the Millennium Clock do? Um, I think it is meant to counteract what the 7th Cavalry is doing. And we have enough of an understanding of transport Dr. Manhattan, take his powers, and kill him. Uh, I don't know how the Millennium Clock undoes that. I know we had discussed in the past, uh, you know, perhaps it's some sort of empathy bomb. But I feel like we've moved away from that a bit in terms of going from transforming people's minds to now needing to transform through action. And then last from me, Matt, Lady True's father, we're told that he is going to show up. Yes. And that's needed too. How about this, Pete? Let's slightly recast the word father. Maybe it's not, you know, a man who worked for 90 seconds to contribute part of her DNA. Maybe it is her conceptual father, her aspirational father in you know, in terms of Vite, somebody who she's always tried to be, even though he's not related to her.
I'm picking up some psychic transmissions from our audience. First bit up, Pete, our Twitter poll. Uh, healthy amount of votes here. One star morgue. Got 10%. Okay. I know that 9% of those people are probably racist people. Let's just put that out there. Two stars, Adam and Eve, 3%. Three stars, Plan A, 13%. And then four stars, Let's Do Dinner. Got a healthy 75%. Uh, some replies here. Uh, James is at Big Killin, says, amazing. I want Regina King in marriage counseling with Sam Jackson for the F-bombs. <laughs> and we know he can pass on his powers. So who is the secret junior doc? Pete, I think we covered all the bases, but any other ones that you want to hit? I mean, if he gives it to Lube Man, I, I just <laughs> think my, my heart will explode with joy. Um. Moving on to Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Pole in 1983. They turned a plot hole, how Angela survived the White Knight, into a plot point. I love the writing on this show. I'm mad there's only one episode left. You can uh, tell the writers really love the characters they have created. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's hard to equally service, and we know that this is Regina King's show, as, as well it should be. Um you know, Oscar winner, everything there. But boy, I mean, just each episode, I, I cannot think of another series in which each episode has gotten progressively better than the other. I mean, wh where are we going to be after this finale? Last tweet, Pete, from our pal, a.k.a. Frank Castle. That's at DJ underscore Black, B-L-A-K, 357. I absolutely love The Mandalorian, but this, Watchmen, is hands down the show of the year. As I was sitting and watching last night, I thought to myself, this is more than just a comic book show. This is a black show with a black lead with black history. Very proud today. This show is outstanding. The Mandalorian is one thing, but this is next level important TV. And again, I say that as a lifelong card carrying, genuflecting Star Wars fan. But this is important in a way of representation, in a way of untold stories, in a narrative right, regardless of the identities of the people represented in this. Uh, Mandalorian is, you know, action and uh, some cute characters and some references. This is a treasure trove each week uh, that they're even attempting to compete, says something about the intellectual properties of both of them. But I got to say that Watchmen to this point um, and rooted in a real world in terms of struggle is more culturally significant. Pete, what feedback do you have on your end? Robert T. Frost writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. He says, The Watchmen, all episodes. I'm one of those lost children who have never before read or seen anything about The Watchmen. I'm sorry I haven't until now. That said, this show almost lost me at the beginning. Episodes one and two were just strange and funky enough to hold me until the total story could begin to unfold. Lots of backstory, lots of character development, lots of making me love our protagonists, yes, multiple, desires. 
which was absolutely needed so we, the uninitiated, could follow, even with the PG primer on the Watchmen graphic novel, I still felt lost at times. This story is deep and tight. I think if anyone needs a visual definition of story tightness, this is the show to point them to. Nothing is wasted. Shots are set up to reveal details, threads, and character nuances, big and small. And that's just for us freshmen. You at the senior level are getting so much more. That's, that's you and me, Matt. We're, we're, we're seniors in this metaphor. As evidenced by your commentary in the podcast about character stories and details seen in the background, I actually feel jealous that I don't know enough to even attempt at theorizing anything that would make sense, let alone relevant. With one episode left, I really don't see how Lindelof can wrap up this story. There is just so much hanging out there. I'm excited to see how he attempts to do this without a surprise episode or a season two. I can't see how this is finished to anyone's satisfaction. Thank you for all the podcasts I have found. I have enjoyed this show, but my enjoyment and understanding is elevated by your commentary and knowledge. Keep up the fantastic, with a P, work, your friend, Bob. Well, I mean, just bowled over there by Bob's words. I mean, we we aspire to have conversations that are thoughtful, relevant, fair, and insightful each week. And uh, I think most of the time we hit the target. But to hear that for Bob, we're hitting the center of the bullseye there that really uh, that really means a lot and is uh, and is humbling. So thank you, Bob. And you know, I think it's important too that somebody who's not aware of the graphic novel and I've we've talked before on the podcast and I continue to talk to people who have not read it that may get to it because of the success of the show. Um, but that he's come to it and then he's come to us and that we've helped there, you know, the, the reciprocal relationship. Uh, I wrote back to him. I said, we're so glad you've found the show and fantastic geek will happily sign your yearbook. <sighs> Absolutely. Pete, anything else you have on your end? We have a Apple podcast review from Alan the Bright Posey. Uh, the headline is Fantastic Pod, five stars. And it reads, my watching experience is enriched by this podcast. Matt and Pete have the ability to inform, entertain, and uncover the nuances of Watchmen and Mando. These pods can't come quick enough. Keep up the excellent work thumbs up emoji well thank you there and certainly plenty of pods are coming between uh now and the end of the year but pete we can't conclude an episode of the watchman podcast without hearing from listener seventh cavil steve uh, a short-term missive this week and he writes as follows dear pete and matt i just can't with this show anymore not only does it try and tear down this country but it made me feel crap i know i shouldn't feel my next day off, I'm going to wash the filth of this show out in a ranch in Carson, Nevada, if you know what I mean. Pete, that's from South Cal Steve. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, okay. I just, I don't There's know. There's a lot I, there in a short email. <laughs> I don't know if I 
just Ken with uh, 7th Cavill Steve anymore. But uh, boy, almost as interesting to see what happens in the finale is if we hear from him again. Uh, Pete, we have this policy that when we when we get feedback, we're always going to share it. I, I know in these busy times, it takes a lot, you know, whether it's doing a review, emailing, tweeting, you know, whatever it is, it, it, it takes time that, that, especially this time of year, a lot of us don't have. Um, Pete, I hope 7th Cavill Steve keeps the conversation going. I think sometimes a lot of us are responding to one thing on the show and he's, he's responding to other areas or with, with other with other perspectives, shall we say. But um, uh, I, you know, I had emailed him back and said, you know, uh, can't, you know, not can't wait to hear more, but just words to the effect of, you know, basically, Pete, I was trying to, I was trying to get him to share a little bit more because I feel like there's, there's unsaid things here. Time will tell. As with all things, time will tell. Such unsaid things. Pete, how can people be in touch with you to talk about the Watchmen finale? and say things you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 10,935 followers can't be wrong and while i am personally on twitter is looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait Pete, there's more Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, Pete, the adventure continuing here for us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. In the next couple days, we'll be talking the two short treks which drop tomorrow. We got Runaways, the third season debut, featuring question mark, Cloak and Dagger. Uh, on Friday as well, podcast coming at you there. More Mandalorian on Saturday. Uh, so just such a pleasure to be talking Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, and DC. I mean, it doesn't get any better than the sweet spot that they're in, as that we are in, as busy as things are right now. So thank you one and all for listening. Can't wait to hear your reactions to the Watchmen season finale. But for this episode, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. Yeah, I get it. You stay here while I save your life.